Welcome to the Explorer Poet Podcast, an exploration of the blurry line separating our physical world from our abstract realities. You talk about something called a soul's high adventure. Man is born with a certain functioning. A kind of house of meaning that we dwell in. A clandestine land found underneath your floorboards. These represent a common human inheritance. A common vocabulary of rituals and symbols. Let's let you know where you are. Such and such a hero has done so and so, and that is your what am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. you got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up. Follow your bliss. I mean, find where it is and don't be afraid to, to follow it. Conversations and stories, myths and reality, science and the gods we worship, the esoteric and the everyday. Come explore with me. Okay. Today I'd like to share a story with you that I came across only within the last year or so. And I saw it as a movie on the Disney Plus app on my on my television with my kids. And the reason I want to share the story with you is because the moment that I saw it, I could see the parallels with my own life, the story that I've lived, and the path that I've taken. And those are, those are the best kinds of stories. And so I thought I would share it with you here and kind of break it down the way that I see it the way that I interpret it and how it fits uh, all the different pieces can just plug right into my own story. And this story that i like to share with you today is called Raya and the Last Dragon. Now, this is a story of healing because it's about a kingdom that at one time was whole. It was all together and it was healthy and it was happy and the people there were happy and successful. And this kingdom is called Kumandra. And the way that I see the story play out is that it's a story about a kingdom, but in reality, any level of human interaction is comparable with any other level. And what I mean by that is that this story is presented as the story of a kingdom, but in reality, you could see this story as the story of an individual, as the story of a family, perhaps a community, a nation. Or you could even see this as the story of the entire human species. And for some, for some reason that the universe has designed that I'm, that I don't fully understand, those different levels can be analyzed in the same way and stories can be applied in the same way to each of them. Now for, for my own story and why this seems to fit so well, I, I thought I would just give you a little bit of background about who I am and where I come from and, and why this story of Raya reuniting Kumandra was so powerful for me. See, when I grew up, I grew up in a, in a way that isn't typical for most people here in America because I grew up in what I like to call a lot of bubbles, bubbles that kept me trapped inside of limited ideas and didn't allow me to have enough information to really understand the world around me. For me personally, these bubbles included things such as my parents raising me in isolation in the country and homeschooling me there so that they could control my education. And <laughs> in conjunction with that, it meant being raised in a fundamentalist form of Christianity. 
as <laughs> as well as just being in a world where because I was isolated physically from my peers, I only ever knew my family, really. And to add to that, some of the bubbles that I experienced were parents who were emotionally unavailable and didn't have a lot of education themselves, didn't have a lot of communication skills or or parenting skills. And so I was often instructed by their hands rather than their heart. And so I came up in this world where the intersection of all these bubbles caused me to develop as a person who was not whole. In the same way that the nation or the kingdom of Kumandra in the story was at one time a whole and then through human discord broke apart, I too was born, you know, a, a whole individual. And as I grew, my environment and the cultural forces in that environment and the bubbles that I was placed in did not allow me to remain whole. And this is not, this is not um, uncommon. This aspect of humanity, of being a human, it's not uncommon for us to be one thing when we're born, but our culture takes us in another direction. What's more uncommon is the life examined, where you can turn around and look back on your life and say, oh, that's what happened. You know, your stories that you grow up with, they're just given to you often because you're in a bubble and you're in several bubbles. And those bubbles, they help craft a story that allows you to survive within those bubbles. But if enough information comes from the outside, those bubbles start to burst. You know, little bits of information poke at the bubbles until the bubbles can't hold you anymore, and then you break free. And when I saw the movie Raya and the Last Dragon, this is exactly what I thought about. This is exactly what I saw. And there are elements in here that are very well-crafted to fit the narrative of an individual who goes through this process of birth, growing up, only to realize that they're not what they thought they were. And in a sense, because their story changes, they then must suffer a death, a death of the ego or a death of the psyche or a death of the stories that have held you in your bubbles. And when that happens, it can be very painful and scary. But following that death, there is new light. There's a resurrection. There's a reemergence. There's a reincarnation. And you can begin your life again as a whole. And that's, that's what's so exciting about this story of Raya and the Last Dragon. Because I think the authors of the movie, they, the writers, they really nailed the journey. And they really were able to identify many of the aspects that are necessary. And those are the things that I was hoping to walk through today with you. So, um, the very beginning of the story... You get to see a map, and it's shaped like a dragon. There's a there's a river. There's rivers and water shaped like a dragon, and around the dragon, there's different pieces of the kingdom. Now, when the story begins, Kumandra, it's a dystopian wasteland. It's broken. Um, the 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 kingdom is no longer whole. It used to be whole, and when it was whole, 
it was supported by dragons with magical powers who brought life and light and water to the kingdom. But somewhere along the way, something called the Droon appeared. And the Droon is this dark, cloudy, scary monster thing that kind of travels over the land. And if it comes across you, it will turn you to stone. And so what happened was people tried to battle the Droon, but they weren't strong enough. (laughs) Just like a child who's young and in an environment that they don't understand and they can't control is not strong enough to fight off whatever demons are coming at them, whatever is coming to them and turning parts of them to stone, freezing it in place so that it can't grow and it can't help anymore. And so what happens is this drune appears and later in the movie it's described as human discord. But in the beginning we don't know what it is. It's just this, you know, scary thing. And so the people try to battle it, but they turn to stone. And the dragons try to battle it, but they also turn to stone. And so it comes down to one last dragon, a mighty dragon named Sisu Datu. And she's the last dragon. And they take all the, all the dragons, put all their powers into a gem, and they give it to Sisu. And with that, she's able to banish the druids back so that they're no longer all over the land. But it also means that the dragons go away. And this Sisu Datu becomes the last dragon of Kumandra. Now, when the dragons were able to do this, all of the people who had been turned to stone were able to come back. And so we now had this new type of kingdom where before there were dragons and people, and now there's just people. And not only that, but they have this gem that is the dragon gem. So all of the dragon's powers have been put into this gem. And this gem is held by the, the portion of the kingdom called Heart Kingdom. And it's actually Raya's father who's the leader of this portion of the kingdom. And so she trains with her father as a kind of warrior who's destined to protect the dragon gem. And... And the, her father has this dream. Her father has this vision of once again uniting Kumandra and bringing everybody back together so that they can once again have peace in the land and everybody can all, everybody can benefit from the, the magic or the power of the dragon gem. And these other lands that exist in the kingdom. Raya and her father, they're from the Heart Kingdom. But the other lands that exist is Tail, which is a desert of mercenaries. Talon, which is a floating market of fast deals and warriors. Spine, which is a frigid bamboo forest with large warriors. And last of all is Fang, which is the fiercest enemy of all. They're a group of angry assassins who ride giant cats. Now, Raya's father explains to her that the only reason that all these kingdoms are enemies is because they think that Heart's power and Heart's magic comes from the, jag- the dragon gem. They think that it brings them magical powers. But in reality, he understands that it doesn't. It doesn't do that. He's not sure exactly 
what it does except for perhaps keep the Druns at bay. And so he explains to Raya that they were once a whole kingdom uh, and it was called Kumandra. And they can be again if they simply learn to trust each other. He tells her someone has to take the first step. And so that's what he does. He's brave enough. He's, you know, he's the leader of heart. So he's got enough heart. And he calls all of the leaders from the other kingdoms together because he wants to talk to them about the real situation and what's really going on. Now, <laughs> now, if this were to be compared to perhaps, say, a family, a family that had some discord in it, you could see how there may be somebody in the family who's saying, hey, guys, really all we got to do is get together and talk so that we can trust each other. At the same time, other people in the family may feel that they already don't trust each other. They've already been hurt or betrayed by each other enough that they, they, they don't even want to trust. And so when they call everybody together, Raya's father stands up and he wants to give a speech about reuniting and peace and working together. But immediately the other kingdoms, they reject his proposal. They don't even trust what he's saying because they think that he's setting them up for something. And so he, he tries anyways and he invites them in to have a meal with the heart kingdom. Now, this is at this point in the story, Raya, she's a young girl. And during this visit from all the other kingdoms, she happens to meet the daughter of one of the other kingdom's leaders, and her name is Namari. Now, Namari comes from Fang, and Raya has never met her before. She's never met anybody from Fang before. She's not sure what to expect, but what she notices is that Namari is wearing a necklace with a dragon pendant on it, and it's the dragon Sisu. And just... Just from that simple connection, you know, they're children. And so, just from that simple connection of both like, they both like dragons, they're both interested in dragons. She feels a commonality, a common bond with Namari. And listening to her father's words about trust, she wants to trust Namari and she wants to bring her into, into the inner circle where the dragon gem exists. So, the first thing that happens though is that is that uh, they sit down together, they enjoy some food together, and Namari, she pulls out a scroll. And on this scroll is the map. It's the map of the kingdom. And you can see what Kumandra, the whole of Kumandra looks like and where all the rivers go and all this. And by looking over this scroll, it helps plant, further plant the seed in Raya's heart that at one point Kumandra could be reunited and they could be a, a whole kingdom again. And when Namari gives Raya her necklace, her Sisu dragon necklace as a gift, the trust is really built up for Raya. She really believes that Namari is thinking the same thing she's thinking. And so she takes Namari into the 
kind of this cave thing where there's this inner circle where the dragon gem is protected. And she only takes her there to show her that like, hey, this is what we have and it's not, you know, it's not what everybody thinks it is. And when they get there, <laughs> what happens is that Namari, as soon as she's in the inner circle, she immediately turns on Raya and tries to attack her and defeat her so that she can take the gem. Now the sirens go off and people, all the adults show up and right away Raya's father steps in to try to once again make a plea for peace and working together. But, but again, the people, they don't trust him. And so a battle ensues. And during the battle, the dragon gem is dropped and shattered. Now, going back to this idea of a family who has some discord or has broken up and they tried to come back together, this can often be the case where somebody in the family makes an attempt, it doesn't go well, and rather than build trust, the fact that the attempt didn't go well can actually diminish the trust within the family. Another example of, of how this would play out for, for example, in my own life, if you were to look at this story as an individual, it's interesting to me that they've broken the dragon up into body parts because because as an as a human being that's what we're composed of is our body parts and in a real way the different organs in our bodies provide different emotions to us and you know our brain is providing thoughts and our guts are providing emotions and a lot of times what our body feels and knows perhaps subconsciously is different than what our conscious self is aware of, the stories that we're aware of and are accepting, and the identity that we have and that identity that we're accepting. And so, when, when things come up that try to make you trust yourself, that can be scary. When you've always relied on your head and suddenly you need to rely on your heart, that can be really scary. When you've had emotions or feelings or impressions in your body or, or that you've experienced throughout your life, and because of the world you come from, you've always mistrusted or ignored or avoided those feelings and impressions, later in life when it's time to reunite and to become your whole self, it can be terrifying and excruciating to trust those feelings. But this is the plea that Raya's father is making. He's saying, please, let's trust each other rather than attack each other, rather than keep moving forward in a way that's not going to be helpful for anybody. Unfortunately, in this case, nobody's willing to trust. And so the battle ensues and the dragon gem is dropped and it shatters. And when it shatters, all of the drones suddenly start reappearing. These, these dark clouds of these like scary monsters from your nightmares. And they, they chase everybody away and everybody who's not able to escape is turned to stone. And so Raya's father is turned to stone and she loses her father. And the pieces of the gem are stolen and separated and scattered so that every kingdom ends up with their own little piece. Now, 
The Druns are back in the land. The kingdoms are worse off than ever before, because now there are no dragons, no whole dragon gem, and the Druns are back. Now the Druns are, they're like a, they're a plague. And the way that Sisu describes it later in the movie, she says it's a plague born of human discord that's always been here waiting for a moment of weakness to attack. And as the Druns go through the kingdom, they turn people to stone. But one of the interesting things is that they can't go near water. The Druns can't go near the water. And so as time goes on, people find ways to protect themselves from the Druns by using water. Now, when Raya's father is turned to stone by the Druns, he's just before he is, he's able to give Raya the gem, uh, the piece of the gem. And he tells her to protect it. And so, by this unfortunate series of events, Raya is suddenly called to her mission. She's called to her journey as the hero of our story. And it's going to be up to Raya to figure out what went wrong, why trust, why none of them could trust each other, and to put the gem back together and to then reunite the kingdom. So we flash forward. This is about six years later, and Raya's all grown up, and her tuk-tuk, which is this kind of armadillo-looking thing <laughs> that rolls up into a ball. She's uh, Her tuk-tuk's all grown up as well, and so Raya, she has a big saddle, and she rides it across the desolate land in search of Sisu. Because as soon as she, as soon as she had learned of the map from Namari, and from Namari, she had gotten this idea that Sisu, the last dragon, was still out there somewhere at the end of the rivers. Her whole mission became to find Sisu in order that her and the dragon can work together to put the kingdom back together. And so she's going across, across the land in search of Sisu. And at the very end of the map, deep into the desert of Tail, she finds a shipwreck at the end of the river and she goes into the shipwreck and while she's in there she removes her shoes and she creates a small altar and a blanket and so you can see that she's treating it as a sacred space she's aware that she's she's in a place that she needs to be careful and that she she is hoping that through her efforts she can call Sisu to come and help her one of the things now that Raya is wrestling with is this idea that, that her father wanted to trust everybody. And when she trusted Namari, Namari stabbed her in the back. And now Raya blames herself for what happened because she trusted, because she trusted Namari. And so she places, you know, in this, in this shipwreck, she places the dragon emblem on the altar and she adds a little bit of water and she sings. And this is kind of her way of calling to Sisu. Now, she doesn't know if it's going to work or not, but suddenly you start to see some, some growing kind of magical cloud sense in the air and you realize that Sisu is appearing. Now, Sisu, she's this fun dragon and she's got a lot of spunk and she just wants to have fun a lot of the time. 
Um, but she doesn't know what's happened. She's been asleep for 500 years, ever since she was the last dragon and she went off to be by herself. And what we quickly discover about Sisu is even though she's a dragon and even though she has, she has magical powers, for some reason she's not the most confident of dragons. In fact, she doesn't even really know what her worth is. And she, she tells Raya that she didn't even help to make the gem. She was just the one to deliver it. And so she delivered it and then she disappeared. But what we discover in speaking with Sisu is that all of the dragons have specific magical powers. Now, the irony about this is that Sisu doesn't actually know what her power is. She just says that she's a really strong swimmer, right? And we'll see, we'll see how this plays out later on. But, but what Raya sees right away is how the magic of the gem, when it's around Sisu, it, it kind of comes to life. And so when Sisu touches the gem, she glows and she says it's like one of her siblings. It's the power from one of her siblings. And so in that moment, they decide together to put, try to put the gem back together and see if they can once again repel the Druns from the kingdom and reunite Kumandra. As they're doing this, Namari is also grown up. And Namari is a little upset that her dragon scroll and her dragon necklace have been gone for six years. And so throughout this whole time, she's actually been anywhere that Raya has gone, Namari has gone as well, trying to track her and, and trace her. So when Raya and Sisu decide to go on the first leg of their journey, which is to visit Tail, uh, Sisu, to, to visit where Tail keeps their gem, Sisu begins to wonder why, why all these people are fighting. Like, what's going on? And w why are they fighting each other and not the Droon, right? Because Namari shows up and they have to battle her and escape. And, and so she's just asking Raya, like, what is going on? Like, why are humans fighting humans? Why aren't you fighting the Droons? And, and as we go through the story, it's, you, we'll see that it'll take a while for Raya and Sisu to understand each other because they see the world in such different ways. And one of those ways that that plays out is when they get to Tail. And they're there to find the gem that Tail has. And Sisu, she, <laughs> she's worried that they've forgotten a gift for the Tail chief. And she says, a gift says that you can trust me. Can I trust you? And in this case, in the case of Tail, there's actually nobody there to give a gift to. Because what they discover is that the kingdom has been dried up and the gem is just hidden in a in like a cave with a bunch of booby traps. And so at, at this time they don't have to figure out a way to defeat somebody or give them a gift. And so it's a quick sneak into the cave, get past the booby traps, and then they've got the gem. And as soon as Sisu touches this gem, she can suddenly shapeshift like one of her sisters. And so this gives them even more courage or enthusiasm because they're seeing that as they bring more of the gem together they can they can see the magic coming back as well but just in this moment just in this moment namari appears on her giant cat and they battle and raya actually gives her back the scroll 
Um, but she does it as a way to distract her so that she can make an escape. And they make their escape down to the river and they run and they jump, uh, they jump into the water to get away from the cats because the cats don't like the water. And as they're in the water, they swim towards a boat and they climb onto the boat and it's, uh, it's Raya and her tuk-tuk and Sisu and they get on the boat. And getting onto this boat is the introduction of a new character into the story. And this is an important character. And what we'll see as we go through is that there'll be a, a number of characters that are introduced that are really important to the idea of the reunification. In the story itself, it could appear that these characters are simply there to help, to be part of the group that helps. But like I was saying before, I think the writers in this case, they really nailed specifically who these characters need to be. Because anybody, anybody who's grown up in a situation where they had to survive will be able to at some point identify with these characters. And this first character, he just happens to be a young boy. His name is Boone. And they escape on his boat. And he's the operator of the boat. Uh, he's the owner, but he's also, he's the captain. He's the owner. He's the chef. And he says he's the chief financial officer. And so you get this idea of this young boy as somebody who's very capable or at least somebody who's very able to make things work. And so this young boy, Boone, I would call him the survivalist. And anybody who grew up in a family or in an environment where perhaps some of their needs weren't met physically, emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, they would have been forced into taking care of themselves in a lot of ways. For a lot of people who, who grew up in bubbles, they had to have this survivalist inside of them. They had to have this young person who could operate in an older person's world, even if they weren't prepared. They just had to do it. And so, that's why this boon on this boat is so interesting. He's that survivalist. He's, he's the captain, owner, chef, and chief financial, financial officer of this boat, which he calls the Shimporium. And um, I don't think, at the time, I don't think that Raya or Sisu can see that he's going to be a helpful partner in the journey. But when it comes to the healing process for people, it's important to remember that, that the person you are today is an amalgamation of all the people you've been that you've had to be in order to survive. And so, so on this journey to healing, whether for an individual or here in the kingdom of Kamandra, they need this boy to be with them. They need that survivalist. They need that person to participate in, in the healing process. And so, fortunately, they come across Boone and he takes them on his boat and they take off towards Talon. Sisu has, back when she touched the gem and she shapeshifted, she turned into a human. And so, to this point, none of the other humans actually know that she's a dragon. And going along this theme of not trusting anybody, Raya asks Sisu to stay in human form. <laughs> and uh, Sisu responds to her and she says, wow, you've got some trust issues. 
And Raya snaps back at her. She says, my father blindly trusted people, and now he's stone. And so, again, we see this conflict going on where a part, a part of the team, which is the dragon, is, is, is calling for trust, is calling for um, a path to reunification or wholeness that is much more peaceful. And the way that Raya responds is that she doesn't even trust Boone the captain of the ship who's trying to feed them dinner, she doesn't even trust him with the food he's giving her because she thinks it might be poisoned. And Sisu thinks this is crazy, so she just eats the food right away. And in that way, Sisu's always going to be the one to take the first step when it comes to trust. And that's something that Raya will have to learn from her as they go along. The next stop for them in the in the journey is to go to this the kingdom of Talon. Now Talon is before it was described as like a floating floating marketplace of violent criminals <laughs> or something like that. And so when they show up you can see that they've got this whole city and it's built on platforms that float in the water and again it's out in the water to help them avoid the the drones. And once again, Sisu suggests that if they're going to go into the city in search of the gem piece, that they should bring a gift for the leader there. His name is Deng Hai. But Raya convinces her to stay on the boat, stay there with the boy, and she goes alone into the city in search of the gem. Now, the first people that she, <laughs> the first people she comes into contact with or she encounters is this group of monkeys who are who are led by a young baby who Raya calls a con baby and she calls her that because the baby pretends to need her help she's crying and when Raya goes to help her the monkeys sneak up from behind and they they steal all of Raya's stuff including the gem and so right away Raya has to chase the monkeys through the city through the, <laughs> chase the monkeys and the baby through the city to get her gem back now um We'll see that as soon as as soon as she's able to get the gem back, you can see that the baby actually is actually a baby, and what the baby really wants is somebody to be with, somebody to help take care of her, somebody to have a, to be her family. And so, if it doesn't take a lot of it doesn't take a lot of effort to see how the baby here, who we later discover her name is Noi, we can see that Noi as a baby by herself surrounded by a band of monkeys is analogous to Peter Pan and his band of lost boys. Now the thing that makes Peter Pan and his lost boys lost boys is that they don't have a mother. Now that story that story is um, one worth diving into and I'll definitely do an episode on Peter Pan. But um, in this case the little girl doesn't have a mother because of the droon. Now, now it's easy enough to say that, you know, that's not the mother's fault. But when it comes to Peter Pan not having a mother, or the lost boys not having a mother, it's, it's not because of choice, and it's not because of necessarily circumstances outside of the mother's control. The, the message there is, 
<laughs> in place of a mother, they get a tyrant who's a captain who chases them around an island and tries to control them or defeat them. And in this case, the baby's mother, she's not there because of the droon turned her to stone. Now, if we take a step back and we look at what the droon is, and we call it human discord, then you could see, maybe not directly in the story, but you can see through the symbology of the story, how the baby becomes a lost boy because because the mother's not there, and the mother's not there because of whatever things are in the mother's life that turns her into a thing that can't be there for her child. For somebody who, again, for somebody like me who grew up in bubbles, and one of those bubbles being parents who were not emotionally available for me, um, you, you can see that in this healing process, that baby, that baby who's really young when, when they become lost, you know, this, is, this baby is the seed of the other character, Boone, right? That baby precedes the survivalist. And so, once again, it's important that these characters partake in the journey with Raya because the process of healing requires all of those different versions of us to come along for the journey, to come along and participate. And so, even though Raya doesn't She's not looking for a team to help her. She suddenly is starting to build a team of people who do trust each other and are working towards the same goal. And anybody who's going down a path of personal healing from family trauma when they're young or a family themselves who's going through the healing, you've got to bring along everybody. You've got to bring every part of you so that every aspect can participate in the healing. So, Raya, she's able to chase down these monkeys, get her gem back, and then uh, the monkeys and the baby, Noi, they decide to join her. They want to come with her. Now, in the meantime, Sisu's back at the boat, and she's hanging out with Boone. And she's talking about wanting to go into town and do things and, and whatever, get a gift for the Deng Hai, who's the leader of, of the Talon, so that she can go take the gift to Deng Hai and ask for the gem. Now, Boone, as the survivalist, he, this is a really good, it's like a really good little bit where Cece doesn't have money. And so, Boone explains to her how credit works. But the thing with Boone is that he is a boy. He's young. He's, he's a little kid. And so, he's had to survive in the adult world but he doesn't yet fully understand the adult world. And so he teaches Sisu about credit, but he gives her an immature understanding of how to navigate an adult world. So he basically tells her that she can take now and pay later. He doesn't know and she doesn't know that credit requires, you know, a history and relationship. And, and so Sisu goes into the, into the village or the, the marketplace and just starts taking things, whatever she wants. And she's just going to take all these different products and she's going to take them over to Dang Hai and, and offer them as a gift so that she can get the gem. Now, as soon as she starts to do this, all of the merchants 
begin to become angry with her and demand that she pay them back and demand that she is punished for for stealing. And just as she's about to be taken by the merchants, an old woman shows up and she says, I will, I'll take care of her. And so Sisu walks off with the old woman. Now, fortunately, Raya and the baby Noi and the monkeys have come back by this point. And so even though Sisu's been taken by the old woman, they're able to come and save her. And she's the one that actually has the gem in the Talon kingdom. And so they're able to take the gem from her. So this is interesting because they don't actually partner with whoever the leader of the Talon kingdom is, but there's a piece of the Talon kingdom that they take with them. And that's the gem, and that's the the baby and the monkeys. And so they now join the party. Now, <laughs> when they get back to the boat and they're talking about it, they're kind of rehashing what had happened. Raya turns to Sisu and basically says, you can't trust people. That's, that's how the world is now. You can't trust anyone. And Sisu doesn't like this, obviously. She's a dragon who wants to trust everybody. And she wants everybody to, you know, be at peace because they trust each other. And Raya says, yeah, well, the world's broken. You can't trust anyone. And Sisu's response to this is, or maybe the world's broken because you don't trust anyone. It's, it sounds like a good argument. The only problem for Raya is that she has history. And so she says to Sisu, I was stabbed in the back by someone who gave me a gift. And uh, she's referring back to the very beginning of the story when Namari gave her a gift. And so she thought that she could trust Namari. And so the way that it, it plays out, it's really unfortunate that they've learned to not trust each other. And Sisu here is, she's really still struggling to understand why trust is such an issue with, with human beings. Because uh, apparently dragons don't have the same issue. Now... At this point in the story, there's actually a flash from uh, a flashover from their current situation with Raya and Sisu and their growing group of people, and you get a you get a glimpse into the Fang Kingdom because um, Namari has now traveled back and she's speaking with her mother, and at this point you get this insight into the way that this kingdom has survived, and the way that they've done it is to create an island. And uh, it's an island kingdom, but they're running out of space because the the island's too small for their growing population. And if they go to the mainland over the canal, then they'll have to face the Druids. So Namari's mother, she's kind of the archetype or the typical leader of the group. And so she um, she's constantly preaching that they need to be smart, that they need to make smart decisions and not emotional ones. So when Namari comes to her with news about Raya and she asks for some help so that she can go get the gem, she's basically asking her mother, can I have an army to go or can I have some soldiers to go with me to, to try to get the gem? And her mother, her mother likes the idea but she also wants her to try to capture the dragon. So 
her mother in a in a <laughs> this kingdom of of Fang and her mother they represent a part of the kingdom that has survived through cunning and intellect and intelligence and strategy and being smart and even though in the story it appears as if they're the enemies it appears as if they're kind of the last holdout kingdom it's important to remember that the whole kingdom at one point Kumandra it represented a whole and something fractured that whole and so everybody ends up with their own survival strategies and those survival strategies often conflict with each other and it's actually only that conflict of how do we survive that's actually the the separating issue, right? Because, because they no longer trust each other. They're all following their own strategies. And as they follow their own strategies, they re-entrench the distrust for each other. And this is what Sisu's coming up against with Raya and with the group is that she's trying to understand why they don't trust each other because she's a dragon and she doesn't think like a human and she's not aware of the history because she's been gone for so long. So going back to Raya and the group on the boat, they continue on from Talon and they now need to go to Spine because in Spine they'll find another piece of the gem. And... At this point, Sisu's had enough of the human approach. <laughs> she doesn't want to keep showing up and trying to steal or sneak in or take things. She doesn't want to attack. What she wants to do is just be friendly and trust the people of Spine. And so she shows up at the, she goes alone to the gate of Spine and she brings a gift to the fort. And she comes to offer it and say, say her piece, you know, which is, here's a gift to show you that you can trust me. Can I trust you? And when she does that, she's actually captured. Her and Raya end up being captured by the people of Spine. But it's not too long before we discover that the man who's captured her, this large warrior named Tong, he's... He's this giant spine warrior, and he says he's born to invoke fear and crush the skulls of my enemies. So he's all about strength and being a warrior and fighting in battle. But what they come to find out is that sadly he's actually the last. He's the last of his people, because the rest, the rest of them have been defeated by the Druns and turned into stone. And if you, if you, if you take the other characters that we've analyzed thus far, we have the the boy Boon, who is the survivalist. And we have Noi and the monkeys, the baby Noi and monkeys, who are, they're like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, or another way to say it, they're, they're the earliest version of the individual that needed to care for itself, that needed to survive without whatever the environment was incapable of providing. So when we look at Tong, Tong then, he represents to me something that's important as some, it's something that gets suppressed in any environment where people are trying to be controlled. And he the things he represents to me are anger and sexuality. 
The anger side of it is actually really easy to see because he's this big brute who just wants to crush skulls and tear things apart. He wants to be a warrior. And so that anger and aggression is really easy to see. But, you know, it's a Disney movie, so they're not going to come out right and say that he's sexuality. But in the same way, he has a lot of masculinity about him and he carries an axe. And anytime we, anytime we look at mythology and we see, we see weapons that are, <laughs> let's just say they're phallic shaped weapons, right? And so in that same vein that you could say, oh, this, this man represents anger. He also could represent in an individual or say a fundamentalist family. This could be the suppression of both anger and sexuality. And so just like you need, you know, a person who's on the healing path would need to integrate all those old selves, those old parts of them, the baby who's alone, the survivalist who's alone, the the suppressed anger and sexuality comes along with that as well. And so, so at first he captures them, Tong captures them, and he wants to torture them and kill them. But after speaking with them to, for a while, and they come to understand his situation, he comes to understand what they want, he agrees to help them. And first he has to help them escape from Namari and the warriors that her mother has sent her with to capture Raya, the gem, and the dragon. And so Raya goes out to face Namari, and while she's standing there facing Namari, the others sneak back to the boat. Um, but in that moment, Raya and Namari actually begin to face off as if they're going to fight each other. And as they're going about it, Namari actually begins to win the, the battle. And so in this moment, Sisu suddenly appears and stands face to face with Namari. And uh, she tries to scare her. But the thing that's interesting is that standing there looking into Namari's eyes, even though she's trying to be scary, what Sisu sees is the humanity in Namari's eyes. She's able to see her not as an enemy, but as somebody who also is trying to survive and is lacking in trust. So they escape, they get back to the boat, and now we've got the complete group who's ready to go finish the mission. So we have Raya and her tuk-tuk, Raya representing the heart of the group, the heart of the individual, that desire to put it back together, to be whole. And then we have Boone, who's the boy survivalist. We have Baby Noi and the monkeys, who are the Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. And then we have Tong, who is anger and sexuality. And these are all representative of different pieces of an individual that they all, they all are important at different stages in a person's life, particularly somebody who's surviving a difficult situation. And now, having finally identified those different pieces and why they're important and why they need to participate, they're able to now all come together. And in the process of an individual healing, the identification of these different parts of the self are really important. And it's important to recognize that even though you aren't necessarily that baby anymore, even though you aren't that young survivalist anymore, even though 
Perhaps your anger and sexuality has been suppressed for a long time. Those are all pieces that are still part of your whole. And they're all going to be important in the journey back to the completion of the self. And in this case, they all want to help and they're on the boat and they're pleading with Raya to let them help. And Tong even labels them. He says, we are now the fellowship of Droon Butt Kickery, which is, <laughs> he's got this fun way of talking, kind of, uh, he makes up these words. And, and so they're all in and they all want to go and um, they plead with Raya to let her, to let them participate. And they do so by kneeling and they make this symbol of a circle on their foreheads with their two hands. And what it represents then is the whole Kumandra coming back to the self, becoming a whole individual, a real human. And and so the the group, the fellowship of Drun Butt Kickery, they take off and they head for Fang, the final stop in their quest for the gems to put it back together. So again, it's important to remember though that Fang, even though that's their last destination, it's their last goal, their last objective, Fang is still not the enemy. Even if they're looking as, at Fang as the enemy, it's important to recognize that Fang also represents an important piece of the individual, of the whole. And that's uh, an intellectual piece, a strategic piece. It's a piece that says we don't listen to our feelings, we listen to our minds. And our minds protect us because it keeps us smart, it keeps us sharp, it keeps us ahead of what is dangerous. And um, once again, Sisu, she wants to be friendly. She wants to show up with a present or gift and offering and say, we're here to show you that you can trust us and we just want peace for everybody and we want to bring everybody back together. Now, the the group, they don't want, they, they don't believe that this is possible. And so rather than saying, yeah, we'll go along with that, they actually reject the idea and um, they give quotes like, like Tong says, their blades are spe specially designed for the stabbing of backs. He's talking about Fang. And, and then Boone says, if it weren't for them, none of this would have happened. They're the worst. But, um, but the thing is that not only has Sisu been trying to trust all along, she's actually now stood face to face with, who, with, with Namari, whom everybody else considers to be the enemy. She stood face to face with her and looked her in the eyes and saw humanity and saw a desire to trust and and like a she saw a desire to unite to reunite kumandra and so rather than just give in to the groups complaining or their doubts about trust sisu snatches up raya and she runs away with her really quickly so in the journey you know if this was the hero's journey this is the little side you know, this is this is the part where they're actually getting close to the end. They're not really sure how it's going to play out. Um, they're perhaps losing faith. And Raya, Raya's strategy then would just to just be go to go and try to steal the gem or attack the kingdom and try to take the gem. And Sisu knows that this is not going to be an effective path. She know, some, somehow deep down, Sisu understands that it's not actually about the gem. 
It's about something bigger. And so she grabs Raya and she takes her away back to heart. And she says, she says that she's going to take her back to where it all started. And she wants to tell her the story of how it all started. And, and this is a, this is a really important mythological motif, especially in the, in the, the journey of reunification of the self or the, the journey of the hero. This is an important motif where you have to go back to the beginning. And heart is where it started for Raya six years ago when the gem was broken and she lost her dad to the Droons. And she says to Sisu, I know the story, I was there. But Sisu says, no, I'm taking you back to where it all started 500 years ago. And she shows her the statues of her brothers and sisters. Sisu shows Raya the statues of her brothers and sisters. And these are the dragons that glow and they shapeshift and they provide fog and they provide rain. And she tells the story of the last dragon, which is her, and she tells the story of their last stand. And what happened was what made the gem so powerful was that all the dragons united their powers together. And they put it in the gem and they gave it to Sisu. And it wasn't, it's not necessarily the gem and the magic, but it's the trust that they placed in their sister Sisu that saved the world at the time. And Sisu says, I trusted them and they trusted me. When they put their faith in me, it empowered me beyond anything I could imagine. And looking at Raya, she says, the same can happen with Namari. <laughs> so for Raya, this is something that's extremely hard to accept. The idea of once again trying to trust Namari. Because if you remember, six years ago in this very spot in the Heart Kingdom is where Raya first tried to trust Namari. And Namari betrayed that trust. But it's important to remember that at the time, Namari was also a young girl. She, she also hadn't grown up. She hadn't formulated her own ideas about the world and about how things should be done. And so she was acting under the inspiration of her mother. And that's also an important motif. <laughs> this, this pattern of following parental guidance, especially when it's an extremely conservative mindset that her mother was trying to turn her into something and that thing was an intellectual or intelligent, intelligently operating being that was devoid of emotion. Because in her mother's view and in a lot of people's views, who people who have come from difficult situations, people who have experienced trauma, people who have been betrayed in the past, they do not trust their emotions. And that's, that's the catastrophe in Fang. And so this is what Namari was battling against as a child herself. So just like Boone is a part of the story, just like Noi is a part of the story, just like Tong is a part of the story, Namari herself and her mother are a big part of this reunification story because trust is going to have to be there at some point at some point for for us to heal as individuals as families as communities as a world as a species on this planet at some point we're going to have to trust 
<laughs> we're going to have to trust the people who want to use their minds, and we're going to have to trust the people who want to use their emotions. We're going to have to trust that everybody actually wants wants the same outcome. And so, uh, this is what Sisu is trying to convince Raya of, and the final quiver or the final arrow in her quiver is to say is to take her to her father who's still a stone statue and to remind her of the hope that he had that he used to say someone has to take the first step and and sisu says to raya it may seem impossible but sometimes you have to take the first step even if you're not ready and then she asks raya to trust her she says, trust me. And Raya, Raya, because of this going back to the beginning, going back to the story of her father and what he was hoping for and what he believed in, his trust, Raya's finally able to gain enough trust to let Sisu lead. <laughs> she finally lets Sisu lead. And so they decide to go to the to the kingdom of Fang, this smart, resilient, resilient, you know, kingdom that has survived by avoiding emotion, by not trusting. And she goes to um, Namari and she invites Namari to participate in a meeting where they can talk about the gem and the dragons and what the plan is. And so they they uh, they schedule this meeting, and the the way that they do it is you know Sisu always wants to give a gift. She always wants to provide an offering, and this time Raya knows exactly what the gift should be, and so she gives the necklace that she had taken from Namari when they were little, the necklace that had the emblem of Sisu on it, and she gives that back to Namari. And because of the gift, Namari is willing to take the meeting. And she's, she actually shows up in the meeting all by herself, without warriors, without her mom, demonstrating a whole lot of trust. And she brings the gem with her. And Sisu comes out to meet her face to face. And <laughs> it's a really powerful scene in the movie because this is the scene where this is the moment it's like the first moment in a long time in six years that raya has put some trust in namari and the way that it plays out is that namari she wants to trust but she also wants to be cautious so she puts the gem on the ground in front of her and as sisu comes forward she draws her crossbow and she's got it pointed at Sisu. Now, she may not be intending to fire, but she at least has to have her guard up, right? The intellectual self, when it is approached by emotion, when it is approached by things that it fears, things that it doesn't trust, it immediately puts its guard up. And in this case, what's happening is Namari is not actually attacking Sisu. She's come to Sisu willingly, and she's demonstrating some trust, but she still has her guard up. Raya, 
who represents more of the uh, emotional side of this, the heart, she sees that guard go up and she panics. And rather than wait to see how it plays out, she goes to attack Namari. And as she attacks Namari, Namari, Namari fires her crossbow and the arrow strikes Sisu in the chest. And she falls from the cliff and into the water. And at this moment, all the water in the kingdom begins to dry up. And the gem begins to fade. And the water starts sinking lower and lower. It's like going down into the earth. And in this moment, you realize the immense power that Sisu actually has. She's not just a dragon who's really good at swimming. She's the dragon of water. <laughs> she's, not, she's not just an important dragon. She's the most important dragon in the kingdom. And she never even knew it about herself. But all of her siblings knew it, and they trusted her. And so she's gone now. She's gone. The, the, moment, has, the moment of truth has passed. and. They failed to trust each other. And because they failed to trust each other, the, the last dragon has been killed. The water's drying up. The, the droon returns in force as the water dries up and it starts crossing the canal into the Fang Kingdom. And Tong looks at it and he says, now there's nothing to stop the droon. Nothing. So. It seems in this moment, it seems as if the story has concluded with a very sad ending. And oftentimes, oftentimes in our personal journeys, in our family journeys, in our community journeys, oftentimes we need to hit some kind of a rock bottom where there's no water to land in, right? We have to get to a point where it's so bad that we almost don't have an op don't have an option, and in a way, this is also a, a common mythological motif because you actually see the dying of the kingdom. They're literally dying. Everybody's dying. The dragons are gone. The druids are turning everybody to stone. And in her anger, in this moment, Raya goes storming into the Fang Kingdom with the intention to kill Namari in revenge, because now that it's all over. And there's nothing they can do. All she really wants to do is get revenge. That emotional side of her has boiled over. And she's ready to, to, to take it out on her. And what we see is blinded by her rage. She goes into the kingdom. And we see the heart and the head try to battle it out. And what the, <laughs> what the battle really is, it's a, it's a battle of blame. Because in that moment, both of them failed. Namari put up her defenses and Raya reacted to those defenses and they both failed to show real trust. And as they're battling, Namari, Namari yells at Raya and she says, I never meant for any of this to happen. And Raya says, liar. <laughs> and Namari responds, I don't care if you believe me. Sisu did. But you didn't trust her. That's why we're here. You're as much to blame for her death as I am. That's a really hard reality for Raya to accept. 
but holding her sword, her blade up, she looks into the blade and she sees her reflection and she sees herself and the anger, the rage that she has. And she suddenly realizes that Namari is right. That even in that moment when Namari put up her defenses, it was actually Raya who attacked. And it was Raya's fault this time. She sees suddenly that Namari came to her in trust. And this time she betrayed Namari. And she finally, even though it feels like it's way too late and it's way past saving the kingdom, she finally realizes what Sisu was trying to say all the time. All along, Sisu was trying to say that it's not necessarily about the gem. It's not about the dragons and their magic. It's about trust. It's about listening to the parts of us that we don't want to listen to. It's about letting our brains that think and our bodies that feel come together and be one. And even if it's painful and it really, really hurts and it feels like you have to die, at some point you can get the story in your body and the story in your brain to match, to trust each other. And when you do that, it's a it's an empowering feeling. It's an amazing realization. And only then can you recover from that death, that motif of death. Only then can you come back and be alive again. But in this moment, the floor starts to collapse and every, the entire city is just crumbling and falling. The gem's magic is almost gone and the drones are all around them. They're surrounding them and you have the characters there together in the center. You have Raya, who represents the heart and emotions. You have Namari, who represents the intellect. You have Tong, who represents aggression and suppressed sexuality. You have Noi and the monkeys, who represent the motherless child who had to take care of herself. And you have um, Boon, who represents the older version of that child who became the survivalist. They're all there together and they all have a piece of the gem, but all of their pieces are fading and they're, they're losing their powers. And in that moment, Raya considers the conversation that she had with Sisu. And she remembers how Sisu's siblings all trusted in her, even if that meant that they would die. They trusted Sisu to save the kingdom. And so finally the lesson sinks in. Finally she understands what her dad's hope was and what Sisu's hope is. And she realizes it's not about magic, it's about trust. And so Raya takes the first step, just like her dad did six years ago. And just like Sisu's siblings did 500 years before that. So she takes the first step by giving her gem. The only thing that could keep the runes, the, the drones at bay, she gives that gem to her sworn enemy, Namari. And as she does that, the drones come over her and she's turned to stone. But that first step is all it took. That first step of true trust is all it took because then the others can follow suit. Boone does the same thing. He sacrifices his gem and his life for Kumandra. And the baby Noi sacrifices her gem and her life by giving it, by giving the gem to Namari, and she sacrifices her life for Kumandra. 
And Tong does the same. He sacrifices his life for Kumandra. And when Namari is the, literally the only living creature left in Kumandra, she, that all the dragons are gone, all the other humans are gone. So Namari takes the gems, she puts them together, she steps back from them, and she too is consumed by the drune and becomes stone. So that motif I was talking about, that death motif, it may have begun in that moment when Sisu was shot with the arrow. But here, here it catalyzes in a very beautiful way because, because Namari accepts her fate. She accepts that death, that death of the old way, that death of not trusting that death of not listening to each other. And when she's able to do that, trust brings back the power of the dragons. <laughs> and you see rain suddenly fall and water starts to rise and life comes back to the kingdom of Kumandra. And in that moment, dragons, not just Sisu's siblings who were the last of the dragons, but all of the dragons start coming back and they start filling the kingdom. Sisu comes back and her siblings and the drones are just, they're, they're destroyed by the power of this trust, by the power of love and the, this resurrection takes place in Kumandra, a reunification and everyone's families are there and Raya's father comes back and you suddenly see how beautiful and how powerful and how complete the kingdom can be when the different parts listen to each other, trust each other, and rely on each other. And in the same way, for those of us who grow up in bubbles that isolated parts of us, for those of us who grew up in environments where we felt like a lost boy or we had to be a survivalist, or we had to suppress a part of ourselves. We had to act with intelligence and ignore emotion. All of those things can come together in one. And you can be all of those people at the same time. Because you are. And I am. And that's what's beautiful about this story. And that's why I believe that the writers, they did such a good job at identifying the different pieces that need to be there. It really is about trust, trusting yourself, trusting that feeling in your stomach, that pit, that sourness that you've always avoided, that you've always thought was your enemy, that always scared you because you don't, you didn't understand it or you didn't like the way it made you feel. But now, now, even though in your head, it may seem unpleasant. Now you can sit with that feeling. And it's through that sitting and listening to yourself and trusting yourself that healing comes. And that's the only way it's going to work for individuals, for families, for communities, nations, and for the world. And it really is about trust. And that's how we pop bubbles. And that's how we heal and reunify ourselves. So that's why I love the story. That's why I love Raya and the Last Kingdom. I'm, I'm glad that Disney put it out. I love it. And I hope you enjoyed this too. So thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Explorer Poet Podcast. I hope you find this and every other episode both interesting and engaging. I know I enjoy making them. My goal is to record high-quality conversations, both in terms of content and production value. But there's still a lot I need to learn. So if you have comments or suggestions about the audio recordings or the conversations themselves, please let me know. You can contact me via email at explorerpoet at gmail.com. For more about the Explorer Poet podcast, please visit explorerpoet.com or follow on Instagram at explorerpoet or on Twitter at explorerpoetpod. Please follow and rate the podcast on your favorite app. And if you really want to be supportive, please share it with a friend. Thanks. Thank you.